because we're taught that anything that feels that good is wrong. Like for us, like we are not allowed that as queer people. Like that hurt to hear because after, yeah, after I finish, like I, I actually apologize to my girlfriend sometimes. And she's just like, what the fuck? Cause she didn't come from that background. She's completely like religious Like she, she's been out of the closet since she was 12 and sexually active that whole time. And just, it's, it's normal for her. So she can't empathize with it. So she experiences so much confusion when I like cry during sex because I feel like apologetic almost. Hello. I'm Isaac Archuleta, founder of I Am Clinic, an outpatient psychotherapy practice in Denver, Colorado, and co-host of Queer Relationships. Thanks for listening in today. In today's episode, your socks are going to be blown off by our courageous guest, who comes in and talks about shame, orgasm, sex, and masturbation, and all of the challenges that come with it, particularly when we are confronted with internalized homophobia. As you'll hear in today's episode, internalized homophobia isn't a cognitive, rational narrative we play. It's an emotional experience we feel. And the vulnerability of this guest to articulate the pain of internalized homophobia so well is liberating. We talk about making peace with our own desire as a way of making peace with our identity and our sexuality. Take a listen. Well, tell me a little bit about what's going on, what you wanted to talk about today. Um, what came to mind was something pretty prevalent, I think, amongst young queer people, um, that being sexual shame and how that affects our bodies mm-hmm. and psyche. Um, especially if we come from an evangelical Christian background, because we are told that, well, your body and everything that it wants naturally, if you're straight and cis is bad, oh, and you're gay and or gender nonconforming, you're extra bad Mm -hmm. and you're extra not okay. So any expression of your sexuality in any way is sinful and wrong. And yeah, all of that stuff that we all, we already know those messages that we've been given. So that is very prevalent in my life and something I see a lot of in my queer Christian community of people who are around my age, uh, the millennial Gen Z cutoff area. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what came to mind. Absolutely. When you're experiencing either, either, excuse me, people shaming you in that religious context or the shame coming up within yourself, what is that experience like for you? Where do you feel it? Maybe what is the narrative around it? Physically or mentally or both? Yeah, both. Um, Physically, I feel it in my stomach. My first notion that I feel ashamed comes from a tightness, like I'm sucking in. Mm -hmm. And 
my breathing gets shallow and I avoid eye contact. I stoop my head just like this topic. I'm doing it a little bit now, mm-hmm. like it's vulnerable Oh my! and mentally. Sure. Yeah. Mentally it, it's an intellectual idea that I'm bad. Like there's something fundamentally wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like a narrative way I can think of it. Sure. Like a narrative that just kind of sits at the core of who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What were some of the lessons that kind of set this up for you? What did you experience? What did, what happened? A lot of purity culture. Um, and to kind of explain that, that's a major Christianese term. So to kind of break that down would be that sexual expression of any kind is really extremely thought of as just the ultimate wrong, like diabolical, really, unless you are in a heterosexual monogamous relationship. Um, neither of which are possible for me just based on my orientation and how I was made. So it's like, yeah, that was a big thing that was just drilled into me. And I'm like, well, I don't like boys. Yeah. Basically I'm fucked because I don't like boys and I can never experience making love with someone, even kissing someone. Um, also, also, I grew up in a like my particular denomination. I don't know really how it is with over the, across the board with evangelicalism, but like masturbation was not at all like even mentioned. Or if it was, it wasn't like hushed tones, like oh, we don't talk about that. Like, mm-hmm. so I think that's a very natural thing for young people to explore, and I think it can be very good and very healthy. But I had to come to those conclusions by myself because. Oh, I was also homeschooled. So I was raised homeschooled, conservative, Republican, the whole nine yards. Um, So we don't talk about any of this stuff. There's no sex education. It's just homosexuality is the greatest evil. They're all going to hell. And the narrative of, yeah, like sex is only for monogamous heterosexual marriage for life. So that just doesn't couple well with being a gay kid who like, I didn't find, I didn't figure out I was non-binary until I was in my first queer relationship that I'm in now, just because I was never given space to explore that. I didn't even know what the word transgender meant until I was like 20 for real. Cause I had just never, I was so sheltered. I had never heard of any, any of this stuff. So that's kind of, that's kind of the messages and background for me that I experienced almost like I find it fascinating that religion specifically Christianity teaches this profound message of love, but any deviation from one version of love is called sinful, even though Mm -hmm. it's still love. And that this Mm -hmm. message about your desire to love and your desire to be loved was so distorted almost kind of trained you to believe that your own desires were wrong Mm -hmm. definitely yeah how does this 
play out for you? Does it play out in dating? Is there some hesitation or worry? Mm. <laughs> um, my body's going to do the same thing again. I can just tell. Um, you can feel it coming up. It's caused a, it's caused a lot of intimacy problems with my current relationship. I'm dating a mostly cis female. She's she dabbles in the gender queer area, but feels comfortable with being explained as a woman. So, um, yeah, in our, in our, um, sex life, there's a lot of fear and shame. I experience. there's still, I don't identify necessarily as a Christian anymore and definitely not as an evangelical. Um, but there definitely is legitimate. Am I going to hell feelings like for this? And that feeling of like condemnation kind of, um, and it definitely can interfere me just being in my head, me unable to initiate. Um, there's also a lot of fear of rejection. Um, like I'm scared of initiation because I'm scared of rejection. Um, which if there's any even sense of rejection, I feel that in my body, like, well, my desires are wrong. Like I'm, I'm wrong for wanting my girlfriend, for being attracted to her, for wanting that connection with our bodies and that expression of love. So yeah, it plays out a lot. Um, it plays out a lot in my sex life and my sex life with myself. Um, and then being not a cis person, I definitely struggle with my fair share of body dysphoria as well. So mm. it's just like a cycle there. Mm -hmm. Like dysphoria plays into sexual shame and sexual shame. Like when I feel that shame, I'm like, well, I just want to cut my body to shreds. Like I don't want genitals. I don't want anything that can feel arousal or pleasure. I just want to strip it all away and just be sexless. Right. That's how that manifests sense of shame. So it definitely affects me pretty daily. It's almost as though in one hand we have sexual desire and sexual gratification. And in the other hand, we have the physical acts, the sexual acts. And it's almost like in order to get rid of the shame around the desire, we have to get rid of the acts themselves. So it's almost like we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. When, um, when you talked to Kevin on his podcast live, kind of introducing a queer relationship, something that you said, I won't forget, I'm not going to say it right, but you said, when I have a bad relationship with my desire, I have a bad relationship with my behavior. And that just really hits the nail on the head for me. Absolutely. Yes. And I think what you're describing, Karen, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is, I think, one of the most subtle and subconscious root systems of internalized homophobia. Mm, ouch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is why I have such a vendetta against homophobia, because I think that homophobia is not only the hate crimes that are committed on the streets, but homophobia is those mm -hmm. subtle messages where anybody thinks they're superior enough to teach us that what we are is wrong, that what we desire is wrong. And when we internalize those homophobic messages, we have internalized homophobia. 
But the weird thing about this is it doesn't just live in our cognitive mind. We don't own cognitively this internalized homophobia because all we're able to do is just feel it. And when we're feeling it, Mm. it feels true. And so internalized homophobia isn't a narrative we use against ourselves. It's a feeling that's installed in us without our permission. Damn. (laughs) What comes up for you right now, emotionally or physically? What's going on in your body? I feel very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, my face is doing that quivering, smiley, like, this is fine. Everything's fine, Mm -hmm. like, thing. Um, Yeah. And unfortunately, I know that because it's like I have a mirror right there. So, (laughs) and yeah, I just get, I just get giggly when I'm uncomfortable and just smile a lot and just, I don't know, that's what I'm doing. (laughs) It's a great way to (laughs) ameliorate and assuage the pain, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) You know, for sure. I think that we have such this strong, um, like repulse, like a, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but the strong need to push back homophobia. And when we're experiencing, mm. when we call this internalized homophobia, it's almost like we can get angry at ourselves. And mm. we, we carry this like, ah, oh, gosh, dang it, Isaac, why are you holding internalized homophobia? What's wrong with you? But again, to hold this very gently, it's to say, I was a little kid being taught by people that I trusted and I trusted them to teach me what was perfect and valuable about my desire. And they let me down. And now I'm facing the consequences because of their actions. And I don't want you to ever feel guilty for what they did. This isn't your fault. Okay. You know, for years, I'll be a little personal because I think we're, we're all just humans on this planet. But for years, mm-hmm. right after orgasm, I would be filled with the sensation of guilt, like just guilt to the max. And it was so um, patterned. It was just in my body, you know, A, then B, then C comes. And my goodness, it was so horrible. I'm describing this, though, because all of this emotional information, it's literally housed in the limbic system in the body. So just like a hot stove, if I touch it and my hand pulls away, I remember, don't touch the stove. We're doing that emotionally with our own desires. This thing feels so good. I engage it. Emotionally, I respond, pull my hand back and look at what I just did. Because we're taught that anything that feels that good is wrong. Mm-hmm. Like for us, like we are not allowed that as queer people. Like that hurt to hear because after, yeah, after I finish, like I, I actually apologize to my girlfriend sometimes. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, do. what the fuck? Because mm-hmm. she didn't come from that background. She's completely like religious Like she, she's been out of the closet since she was 12 and sexually active that whole time. And just, it's, it's normal for her. So Mm -hmm. she can't empathize with it. So she experiences so much confusion when I like cry during sex because I feel 
like apologetic almost. So that, that hurt to hear you say that because I've never heard anyone else have that experience before. Cause I've never like, yeah, it's, it, it's rare to have like this, you know, like this kind of a conversation where people are on that page of like realness. Absolutely. Yeah. I got you. We are literally in this together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think we have to stand, we have to stand side by side because this is how we legitimize it. This is how we normalize it and walk each other to a place where we can re-engage our sexuality and experience it, not rationally as good and clean, but somatically as good and clean. Say that again? Yeah. We need to stand by each other so that we normalize it to the point, our sex and our sexuality, so that it doesn't just rationally sound good and clean, like a formula, but that we help Mm -hmm. each other actually experience it in our bodies as good and clean. That when we finish, that when we come, that when we orgasm, that we allow our body to emotionally experience it as a beautiful thing that's happening. And that takes practice. Mm-hmm. We have to be very present in the moment to acknowledge that guilt that's coming up and then to gently swipe it away and say, but what is happening is good and what is happening is beautiful. Hello, listener. Thank you so much for hitting play. It's such a privilege to host this podcast and bring it to your ears. And if you're enjoying the show, we would be forever grateful if you'd head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, download, and give us a review. It goes a long way to help us ensure we can reach more people and empower the LGBTQ community to build the relationships we want. Where do you think you might need this most? Is it around identifying as queer? Is it queer sex? Where is this hitting you the hardest? Hmm. This is just my gut instinct of an answer. So I'm not even sure if it's necessarily correct, but I've never thought about this before. But I think, I might be wrong, but I think I am pretty okay with my identity. Because from a spiritual perspective, it makes sense to me. I see God as non-binary. I see God as both a neither gender or any gender, expansive, past gender. So I think it makes sense for my identity from a spiritual perspective. So I don't think I wrestle with the gender thing very much. I think I still, it definitely surrounds the basics of being attracted and being with women sexually or whether they be cis or trans or assigned female at birth, non-binary, um, my attractions lying there and my sexual experience, my partners being in those categories. Um, so I think it does really, it, yeah, queer identity and queer sex. Like you said, mm-hmm. I, I took a long way around answering that, that I didn't need to. I gotcha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the things, um, because I'm fascinated with the topic of sex and identity and sexuality, that I have come to believe is that the primary function of sexual orientation is not to tell us whose body we will enjoy. The primary function of sexual orientation is to guide me towards someone emotionally who will teach me I am love 
at the most primal mm -hmm. core deep layer. I'm mentioning this because when we come out, we come out as sexual beings, as a person who does something sexually. And that's a lot of vulnerability. But what if we understood coming out as someone who is saying, I am I'm now being honest about the person who can teach me about this thing called love at the deepest layer possible. And that sex is an expression of that love. Oof. I think I've tried to articulate that so many times, but just didn't have the vocabulary for it. Mm -hmm. Like when I talked to my mom, my very conservative mom about my relationship and obviously not the nitty gritty details because it's sort of a don't ask, don't tell situation with my mom and I just, but occasionally my mom gets to the soft point where she just asked how we're doing. And it's a very surface level conversation. But I think I've tried to express that to conservative friends and family of like, no, you don't get how much I love this person and how much they love me. And sex is a part of that, but it's not about sex. Like I've been told that, I've made sex my God and abandoned the real God because we're coming out and having a same sex, sexual and romantic relationship. And I've been told that I'm making my sexuality, my identifier, which that I won't even go into the stupidity of that statement, but, and just like put my sexuality on a throne, like an idol and all these just religious spiritual abuse, really these messages are. And I have tried to really verbalize what you just said and never had the vocabulary for it as a response to spiritual abuse in this regard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because when we understand, at least in my view, sexual orientation on the emotional layer, we see sex as the fruit. We see it as the expression yeah. of. And this is to say coming out isn't prioritizing or idealizing sex and sexuality and making a, a, a banner about it. It's about saying, I get to love someone who will teach me how incredibly valuable and precious and lovable I am. And when we feel that connection together, we want sex as an expression of what we're doing emotionally to each other's identity to that growth, that mm. blossoming. And this sounds, in my mind, very much in line with what the Christian God is all about. But this is it. This is your expressing love. And Christians always say God is love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you were to, let's say, I'm going to get just kind of personal, but if you were in bed and having fun and expressing and cherishing each other's bodies, what would it feel like for you to hold that as a sacred practice? Maybe even as a form of worship. What would it look like or what would it feel like? Yeah. How would, how would you sit with it different physically in your emotional body? Peace. Yeah. It would be peaceful. Mm -hmm. it would be restful and energizing. Like 
not like I'd be hyperactive afterwards, but like it would be like the concept of I'm out of spoons. I have spoons. Like it would give me spoons like rather than like, yeah. Yeah. Like take, take away, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The words that I think of is reinvigorated and delight to sit there Mm. and enjoy something like, yeah, honestly, let it be energizing and fulfilling and beautiful. This is the opposite. I think of that internalized homophobia. Would this be a new way of you engaging sex? I would say I've had these moments before, but quite frankly, when I'm on some sort of drug or inebriated in some way, um, not, not, yeah, I don't know. Like it's happened before, probably sober, but it would be pretty new as far as a consistent thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I say go practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I kind of mean this because in there's a couple of different things that I'm thinking about, kind of in the background. We obviously have this mechanism in the brain. It's a whole system, actually, that we call fight, flight, or freeze. We have, mm-hmm. you know, anxiety, aggression, anger. We go up into fight, flight, or freeze. We also have the opposite of that called cool, calm, and collected. When we're in sex, we need the body to go down into cool, calm, and collected first so that all of the energy is saved so that it can kick us up into fight, flight, or freeze so we can orgasm. And then we come back down into cool, calm, and collected. So the same pa- the same. Um, part of the body that houses anxiety and anger also houses sex and the orgasm. And mm-hmm. when when anybody, yeah, when anybody has an anxiety disorder, their body knows how to go from zero up into fight, flight, or freeze so quickly, and it can get there super fast. When we practice this new emotionality, we're rewriting the path neurologically that our brain takes. And so literally the more that you practice this emotional experience, you're helping your autonomic nervous system reroute itself and literally on a neurological and a physiological way, rewriting that internalized homophobia. You're taking that Hmm. natural neurological response and rewiring it for yourself. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Would this feel comfortable maybe to practice on your own, to reach orgasm by yourself and practice this emotional way? Yeah, that's something I knew we were going to get into, which I was nervous for, but I know Mm -hmm. it's needed because I do masturbate and it's, it's very hard for me to finish on my own. I think because I'm too in my head about it. Mm -hmm. So I want to be more in my emotions and in my body. And I don't really know how. Um, So that's, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I have lots of opportunities to practice because I do. But uh, yeah, it would be, it would be different for sure. I'm glad you're telling me. You can see me squirt. Yeah. (laughs) You are shifting in your chair a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I am glad though that you're telling me about this because what you're describing fits in perfectly 
with the autonomic nervous system, the fight, flight, or freeze, and cool, calm, and collected. So if, let's say, you're having sex or you're masturbating, and you're already kind of mildly worrying, is this the right thing? Am I doing it the right way? Will I reach orgasm? That thought process is going to help push you up into fight, flight, or freeze. And so you're already missing that downward curve into cool, calm, and collected that we need first. This is why, or, this is why reaching orgasm can be so hard. Hmm. Damn. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So practicing this emotional way of being, of honoring your sex and your sexuality will let you go down into cool, calm, and collected first to experience the emotional safety and the sensuality. And then your body will take you up into orgasm. Say that again, the last sentence. So when we practice this emotional way, of honoring our sex and our sexuality, we our bodies know that we're emotionally safe. And when we're safe, it'll go down into cool, calm, and collected. Because it's not going to go down there if it's okay. not safe, right? That's it's the opposite mechanism. It's counter to what it's yeah. actually doing. Gotcha. Yeah. So when we're in cool, calm, and collected, then we can go up into fight, flight, or, or um, technically fight, flight, or freeze. But in this situation, it's the orgasm. Gotcha. Okay. So this might be a great way of just kind of centering yourself, getting into that private moment, really honoring what sex is about, this expression of love, this ability to enjoy your body and someone else's. And when you feel rooted in that emotional safety, it's the perfect, perfect time to practice this new route, even during masturbation for sure. In, in my kind of theoretical view, I believe what we're what we're doing here is we're we're taking these messages that say I am broken, I am deviant, I am dirty, I am disgusting, I'm damaged. And as we practice this new way of honoring that sex is our expression of love, we begin to shift our internal identity that says I am lovable, I am beautiful, I am clean. I am perfectly imperfect. I was, I was literally made to function this way. I have an autonomic nervous system. I have parasympathetic nervous system that takes me down into cool, calm, and collected. And sympathetic nervous system that shoots me up into orgasms. I have thousands of neurons in my gonads. My body was designed to do this. And I get to enjoy that. What you thinking? What's coming up? It's projecting a bit, but I just feel feel sad for I don't know I don't want this to be patronizing or condescending but I feel genuinely like genuine sorrow for so many young religious people who are not anywhere close to experiencing this Mm -hmm. um because I was there like even with being kind of secularized in my young adulthood like I, I I am I'm 25 and I didn't I didn't start having sex until I was 21 or really even masturbating until then. So I was a late bloomer. Um, but I know people who are where I am and they're not married and they're completely out of touch with their bodies and themselves as sexual beings. And I know this is not about them. This is about me, but that's, what's coming up is just that I'm, I'm sad. Mm -hmm. for so many people Mm -hmm. who are 
denying the the delight of this part of themselves. Yeah. I think it's so apropos because we're in a time where we're fighting oppression. And this version mm-hmm. of oppression is so sneaky and subtle and effective because it trains us to use it on ourselves. And I agree with you. The amount of time that I spent in conversion therapy and hating my sex and crying with my partner in the bed and then in the morning after telling him we can't do this anymore and dashing to a church and a Christian psychologist and then seminary. I agree with you. The sorrow here, it's an, it's immense mm-hmm. all the time that we lost. And the generations before yeah. us, my God. Yeah. If you could kind of create a little mantra or a little mini blessing for yourself for the future as you're sitting in this moment right here a little memento to take you to help shift those emotions and rewrite those scripts what words might you need in the future i love this question because i actually journal mantras every day lately specifically surrounding this topic because it's been such a hardship i say I am not bad. My body is not bad. My desires were given to me by God herself. And they are good. Variations of that. I love it. That is <laughs> awesome. Yes. And that I think yeah, is, is work a, in progress. for sure. But I think that is a great narrative, a great dialogue to not only hear cognitively again, but to let your body experience that narrative physically. My time with this guest was incredible because their courage and their bravery to be honest and articulate about the pain they've experienced has just left me kind of so humble in this moment. Internalized homophobia can be so pervasive. It's a way of experiencing your own identity and a way of experiencing your own sexuality emotionally. Internalized homophobia can be playing itself through your physical experiences of emotions without us even recognizing that it's there. Of course, Internalized homophobia can be so pervasive in the lives of kiddos who grow up in that religious context, but internalized homophobia can affect all of us even without religion. Internalized homophobia will trick us into believing we're not good enough because we're queer. We're not good enough because of the type of sex that we have. We're not good enough because of the way we want to express our gender. And if any of that emotional information is hanging out in your body, that's internalized homophobia. It might sound a little dramatic, but I think that we deserve better. We deserve to know that our gender expressions, our sexuality, our identity, our relationships, our version of love is just as clean and just as beautiful as anybody else on this planet. Sex is a tricky thing. We have the autonomic nervous system housing two branches, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. And a lot of us who have a hard time reaching orgasm can get very frustrated. And that frustration in and of itself will actually make the problem worse. Because if we're going up into fight, flight, or freeze because of the frustration, we're actually compounding the problem. Again, if we want to experience 
a sex and an orgasm that feels really clean, that feels smooth and organic, we first have to get our bodies into that emotional place where we know we are safe. That might sound like a weird word, but safe in kind of this existential way, that this pleasure is good, it is safe, that this sex is good, it is safe. This way of expressing my love is beautiful and good, and it is safe. I am safe to experience this pleasure. And when we can get there, not only are we undoing the narratives of internalized homophobia, but we're helping our physical body get us towards climax and orgasm and love in a way that not only honors who we are, but honors what's happening in our bodies neurologically. We hear this many times, and I'm thankful that we do, but guilt says I have done something wrong, and shame says I am something wrong. Shame, in my experience, again, it's not a rational thought. We don't think shame. We feel shame. We feel damaged. We feel wrong. When we want to undo the effects of shame, we have to make peace with our desire. We have to experience our desire as beautiful, as clean. I want to thank my guest. The bravery and the courage and the vulnerability exposing a topic that commonly lives in the shadows of our lives, bringing to light on something we would rather not illuminate. But when we illuminate our sex and the problems and the challenges that we confront in our sex lives, we empower ourselves as a queer community to live all the more in freedom. So to this episode's guest, thank you, thank you, thank you. Queer Relation Tips is a podcast sponsored by I Am Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. I Am Clinic. Create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at I Am Clinic. That's I-A-M Clinic. <laughs>